are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights about today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people, implanting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 273. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 29, Paragraphs 810 to 820. 810. On this occasion, the humility and wisdom of our most prudent queen reached their highest point. For overwhelmed by such divine and admirable favors, she hovered at the footstool of the royal throne, annihilated in the consciousness of being a mere earthly creature. Prostrate, she adored the Father and broke out in new canticles of praise for the glory communicated to his Son, and for elevating in him the deified humanity to such greatness and splendor. Again, the angels and saints were filled with admiration and joy to see the most prudent humility of their queen, whose living example of virtue as exhibited on that occasion they emulated among themselves in copying. Then the voice of the Eternal Father was heard saying, My daughter, ascend higher. Her divine son also called her saying, My mother, Rise up and take possession of the place which I owe thee for having followed and imitated me. The Holy Ghost said, My spouse and beloved, come to my eternal embraces. Immediately was proclaimed to all the blessed the decree of the Most Holy Trinity, by which the Most Blessed Mother, for having furnished her own lifeblood toward the Incarnation, and for having nourished, served, imitated, and followed him, with all perfection possible to a creature, was exalted and placed at the right hand of her son for all eternity. None other of the human creatures should ever hold that place or position, nor rival her in the unfailing glory connected with it. But it was to be reserved to the queen, and to be her possession by right, after her earthly life, as of one who preeminently excelled all the rest of the saints. 8.11 In fulfillment of this decree, the Most Blessed Mary was raised to the throne of the Holy Trinity, at the right hand of her son. At the same time, she with all the saints was informed that she was given possession of this throne not only for all the ages of eternity, but that it was left to her choice to remain there even now and without returning to the earth. For it was the conditional will of the divine persons that as far as they were concerned, she should now remain in that state in order that she might make her own choice. She was shown anew the state of the church upon earth, the orphaned and necessitous condition of the faithful, whom she was left free to assist. This admirable proceeding of the divine providence was to afford the mother of mercy an occasion of going beyond 
so to say, even her own self, in doing good, and in obliging the human race with an act of tenderest love, similar to that of her son, in assuming a passable state, and in suspending the glory due to his body, during and for our redemption. The most blessed mother imitated him also in this respect, so that she might be all things like the incarnate word. The great lady, therefore, having clearly before her eyes all the sacrifices included in this proposition, left the throne and prostrating herself at the feet of the three persons said, Eternal and Almighty God, my Lord, to accept at once this reward which thy condescending kindness offers me would be to secure my rest, but to return to the world and continue to labor in mortal life for the good of the children of Adam and the faithful of the Holy Church would be to the glory and according to the pleasure of thy majesty and would benefit my sojourning and banished children on earth. I accept this labor and renounce for the present the peace and the joy of thy presence. Well do I know what I possess and receive, but I will sacrifice it to further the love thou hast for men. Accept, Lord and Master of all my being, this sacrifice, and let thy divine strength govern me in the undertaking confided to me. Let faith in thee be spread. Let thy holy name be exalted. Let thy holy church be enlarged, for thou hast acquired it by the blood of thy only begotten and mine. I offer myself anew to the labor, for the glory and for the conquest of the souls, as far as I am able. 8.12 Such was the sacrifice made by the most loving mother and queen. One greater than ever was conceived by creature, and it was so pleasing to the Lord that he immediately rewarded it by operating in her those purifications and enlightenments, which I have at other times mentioned as necessary for the intuitive vision of the divinity. For so far she had on this occasion seen it only by abstractive vision. Thus elevated, she partook of the beatific vision and was filled with splendor and celestial gifts, altogether beyond the power of man to describe or conceive in mortal life. 8.13. The Mosai renewed in her all the gifts which until then he had communicated to her, and confirmed and sealed them anew in the degree, then befitting, in order to send her back as mother and instructors of Holy Church, confirming all the titles he had conferred upon her as the queen of all creation, as the advocate and mistress of all the faithful. And just as wax receives the form of the seal, so the Blessed Mary, by the divine omnipotence, became the image of the humanity of Christ, in order that she might thus return to the militant church and be the true garden locked and sealed to preserve the watchers of grace. Canticle 4.12 O secrets of the highest majesty, worthy of all reverence, O mysteries as venerable as they are exalted, O charity and kindness of the most holy Mary, never comprehended by the ignorant children of Eve. The choice made by God of this only and sweetest mother for a refuge of his faithful children was not without its great mystery. It was a contrivance for manifesting to us this maternal love, which perhaps in other great deeds we would not succeed in finding out. It was in accordance with the divine decree by which neither she would be deprived of an occasion to attain such excellence, nor we be deprived of the blessed obligation of imitating her example. To whom should it now seem much in comparison with this excess of love when he sees the saints and the martyrs rejecting momentary contentment in order to arrive at their eternal rest, since our most loving mother has deprived herself of this complete beatitude, in order to succor her little children. How can we avoid direst confusion, when neither in gratitude for this favor, nor the imitation of her example, 
nor in order to please this lady, nor in order to secure us her company, or that of her son, we on our part will not deny ourselves of a slight and deceitful pleasure that brings us only their enmity and death itself. Blessed be that woman. Let all the heavens praise her, and let all the generations call her fortunate and happy. Luke one forty-eight, eight fourteen. I finished up the first part of this history with the 31st chapter of the parables of Solomon, setting forth in its explanation the exalted virtues of this great lady, the only strong woman of the church, and by referring to the same chapter, I close the second part. For the Holy Ghost includes all concerning her in the mysterious fecundity of the words of that passage. The great sacrament of which I have here spoken, that fecundity is verified more particularly in the supreme exaltation of the most blessed Mary, consequent upon this blessing. But I will not tarry to repeat what I have there said, for much of what I could say can be understood by the perusal of that portion. There I said that this queen is the strong woman, whose price and value is as of things from afar. Proverbs 31.10 From the farthest confines of the Empyrean heavens, measured by the esteem shown her by the most blessed Trinity, and the heart of her man was not deceived, since she failed in nothing that he had expected of her. She was the ship of the merchant, who brought from heaven the sustenance of his church. She was the one who planted it by the fruit of her hands. She who girded herself with strength, It was she who put forth her arms to the great things, she who extended her hands to the poor and opened her palms to the destitute, she who tasted and saw how good was this negotiation, seeing with her own eyes a reward of eternal beatitude, she who clothed her servants in double garments. It was she whose light was not extinguished in the night of tribulation and needed not to fear the rigor of temptation before descending from the heavens. She, in order to fulfill these offices, besought the Eternal Father for His power, the Son of His wisdom, and the Holy Ghost for the fire of His love, and all the three divine persons for their assistance and their blessing. This they gave her as she prostrated herself before the throne, and they filled her with new influences and communications of the divinity. Then they lovingly permitted her to depart with ineffable treasures of grace. The holy angels and saints magnified her in wonderful exaltation and praise, and she returned to the earth, as I will relate in the third part. There I shall also relate all that she did in the holy church, during the time of her stay and her doings, were the admiration of heaven, and of exceeding benefit to men. For all her labors and sufferings were undergone, to secure eternal felicitude for her children. As she had come to know the excellence of charity and its origin and source, namely, in the eternal God who is charity, 1 John 4.16, she continued to be inflamed by its ardors, and her bread day and night was charity. Like a busy bee, she descended from the triumphant to the militant church, charged with the flower dust of charity, to construct the honeycomb of the love of God for the nourishment of the little children of the primitive church. She raised them up to manhood, so robust and consummate in perfection, that they formed a foundation abundantly strong enough for the high edifice of the Holy Church. 8.15 In order to finish this chapter, and with it the second part, I return to the congregation of the faithful, whom we left so sorrowful on Mount Olivet. The Most Holy Mary did not forget them in the midst of her glory, as they stood weeping and lost in grief, and as it were, absorbed and looking into the aerial regions into which their Redeemer and Master had disappeared. She turned her eyes upon them from the cloud on which she had ascended in order to send them her assistance. Moved by their sorrow, 
she besought Jesus lovingly to console these little children whom he had left as orphans upon the earth. Moved by the prayers of his mother, the Redeemer of the human race, sent down two angels in white and resplendent garments who appeared to all the disciples and the faithful and spoke to them, Ye men of Galilee, do not look up to heaven in so great astonishment. For this Lord Jesus, who departed from you and has ascended into heaven, shall again return with the same glory and majesty in which you have just seen him. Acts 1.11 By such words and others which they added, they consoled the apostles and disciples and all the rest, so that they might not grow faint. But in their retirement, hope for the coming and the consolation of the Holy Ghost, promised by the Divine Master. 8.16 But I must remark that these words of the angels, though they consoled these men and women at the same time, contained a reproach of their want of faith. For if their faith had been well-founded and permeated by the pure love and charity, it would not have been necessary to remain there with their gaze, so intently fixed on the heavens, since they could not see their master, nor detain him by the outward and sensible demonstration of their love, which they showed in looking up in the air, where they had seen him disappear. But they should have enlivened their faith and looked for him, and sought him there, where he really was, and where they would certainly have found him. Theirs was a useless and imperfect manner of seeking him. For in order to obtain the presence and assistance of his grace, it was not necessary that they should see and converse with him corporally. That they did not understand this truth was a blamable defect in men, so enlightened and perfected. For a long time had the apostles and disciples attended the school of Christ our God, and they had drawn the doctrine of perfection from its very fount, from a source so pure and exquisite, that they should have been far advanced in spirituality and highest perfection. But this is the misfortune of our nature, that in its dependence upon the senses and its satisfaction in exercising its lower faculties, it wishes to love and enjoy even the most divine spiritual blessings in a sensible manner. Accustomed to this grossness, it is very dilatory in purifying and cleansing itself from those lower elements, and sometimes it is thus deceived even when it firmly and eagerly pursues the highest aims. This truth was well exemplified for our instruction in the apostles, who had been taught by the Lord that he was the light and the truth, at the same time the way, John 14.6, and that they were to come to the knowledge of the Eternal Father through him, the true way, since light shines not merely for its own self, and a road is not made for the purpose of resting upon it. 8.17 this teaching, so often repeated in the Gospels, heard from the lips of its author, and confirmed by the example of his life, should have raised the hearts and the understanding of the apostles to its comprehension and practice. But the very pleasure which they found their spirit and for their senses in the intercourse and conversation with their master, the security of their love and the assurance of the just love of the master, kept the forces of their will bound to their senses so that they did not know how to free themselves from the encroachments of their lower faculties, nor ever became aware how much of self-seeking there really was in their piety, and how much they were carried away by the spiritual delight coming only from the senses. If their divine master had not left them by ascending into heaven, they could not have separated from him without great bitterness and sorrow, and therefore would not have been as fit to preach the gospel. For this was to be preached throughout the world at the cost of much labors and difficulties, and at the risk of life itself. This could not be the work of a small-minded men, but of men courageous and strong in love, men not hampered or softened by the sensible delights, clinging to the spirit, 
but ready to go through abundance or want, infamy or renown, honors or dishonors, sorrows or joys, preserving throughout it all their love and zeal for the Lord, and a magnanimous heart, superior to all prosperity and adversity. 2 Corinthians 6 8. After they had therefore been admonished by the angels, they left Mount Olivet and returned to the Cenacle with Most Holy Mary, persevering in prayer and in their expectation of the coming of the Holy Ghost, as we shall see in the last part. Instruction which Most Holy Mary, the Queen of Heaven, gave me. My daughter, thou wilt appropriately close the second part of my life by remembering the lesson concerning the most efficacious sweetness of the divine love and by immense liberality of God with those souls that do not hinder its flowing. It is in conformity with the inclinations of his holy and perfect will to regale rather than afflict creatures, to console them rather than cause them sorrow, to reward them rather than to chastise them, to rejoice rather than grieve them. But mortals ignore this divine science because they desire from the hands of the Most High such consolations, delights, and rewards as are earthly and dangerous, and they prefer them to the true and more secure blessings. The divine love then corrects this fault by the lessons conveyed in tribulations and punishments. Human nature is slow, coarse, and uneducated, and if it is not cultivated and softened, it gives no fruit in season, and account of its evil inclinations will never of itself become fit for the most loving and sweet intercourse with the highest good. Therefore, it must be shaped and reduced by the hammer of adversities, refined in the crucible of tribulation, in order that it may become fit and capable of divine gifts and favors, and may learn to despise terrestrial and fallacious goods, wherein death is concealed. 8.19 I counted for little all that I endured when I saw the reward which the divine goodness had prepared for me, and therefore he ordained in his admirable providence that I should return to the militant church of my own free will and choice. This I knew would redound to my greater glory and to the exaltation of his holy name, while it would provide assistance to his church and to his children in an admirable and holy manner. 1 Timothy 1.17 It seemed to me a sacred duty that I deprive myself of the eternal felicity of which I was in possession, and returning from heaven to earth, gain new fruits of labor and love for the Almighty. All this I owe to the divine goodness." which had raised me up from the dust. Learn, therefore, my beloved, from my example, and excite thyself to imitate me most eagerly during these times, in which the Holy Church is so disconsolate and overwhelmed by tribulations, and in which there are none of her children to console her. This cause I desire that thou labor strenuously, ready to suffer in prayer and supplication, and crying from the bottom of thy heart to the Omnipotent. And if it were necessary, thou shouldst be willing to give thy life. I assure thee, my daughter, thy solicitude shall be very pleasing in the eyes of my divine Son and in mine. 8.20 Let it all be for the glory and honor of the Most High, the King of the ages, the immortal and invisible, 1 Timothy 1.17, and for that of his mother, the Most Blessed Mary, through all the eternities. End of second part. This concludes our reading today for day number 273. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6. Chapter 29, paragraphs 810 to 820. And so concludes the third volume, which means we have one volume left. We have covered a lot in this volume, haven't we? 
we really covered the whole public ministry of Jesus. And then we've walked through his passion, witnessed his resurrection, and learned more about his ascension into heaven. I'm assuming that as we begin volume four tomorrow, that that will address the early days of the church. I know that in volume four, we'll read about Our Lady of the Pillar and that miraculous bilocation of Our Lady. There is so much more that we are going to read as we move on now into the fourth volume. It's my hope that as really we read and prayed and meditated on the passion and death and resurrection and ascension, that it has been enriching for your spiritual meditation, especially when we pray the stations or when we pray the rosary. I'm Father Edward Looney, and I'm grateful that you tuned in today. And I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow as we continue reading the mystical city of God. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.